meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Good morning. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Brandon. I'm a curate here at Res, which is essentially an internship which is designed to give exposure uh, to people who are discerning whether or not they uh, are indeed called to holy orders. So I'm thankful for the opportunity and the experience of being able to stand before you here today. I've recently gained an appreciation of stories, especially epic hero myths. As these are the stories that we connect with and to which we aspire. Stories have played a significant role in society throughout time for the transmission of values and morals to successive generations. I recently watched a a movie called The Last Samurai, which features Tom Cruise. It's a great movie. Uh, He's a washed up 1800s Union soldier. He's working as a traveling salesman uh, for Winchester Rifles. But he's plagued by flashbacks and remorse over his involvement and participation in the slaughter of Native Americans. However, he's recalled by the Union and ordered to go train the Japanese military against the last stronghold of samurai. Rushed to conflict early, Tom Cruise gets taken hostage by the samurai, but... Through that experience, he gains an appreciation of the samurai way while learning their language and customs. And I don't want to spoil it in case you want to see it, but he sees his opportunity to fight for the samurai as a way to right his past wrongs and assuage his guilt over his involvement in the atrocities against the Native Americans. It's a wonderful story of redemption, courage, and a willingness to go for the sake of others. In our passage today from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is speaking to 72 disciples in preparation for their departure and outlining the specifics of this mission, which is the mission of God, the Missio Dei. Jesus exhorts the disciples and instructs them with four key thoughts. The first is to be in community. The second is the need for earnest prayer. Third is to have courage. And fourth, to share his peace, or shalom. What I want us to consider today is our Missio Dei, the mission to which we have all been called, that of being the hands and feet of Jesus and active participants in the reconciling work of his kingdom. The mission that's encapsulated in Jesus' response to Peter when Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. To which Jesus replies, then feed my sheep. As we shall see in this passage, the mission of the body of Christ to go out and offer his peace or shalom. Starting with the first point of community, Luke 10 verse 1 reads, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. This 72 is an interesting number to me as I reflect Because it's easy to envision a gathering of people about the size of our congregation here today, right now. Those of you gathered in this room. Notice that the 72 are sent as an advance party ahead of Jesus, but not alone. We can pause here and ask, why did he send them two by two? 
Is it because we aren't meant to go on this journey alone? Or not that we shouldn't or can't, but is there an advantage to going in pairs? Our faith has taught us that there is strength in community and companionship. Through the mutually edifying work of accountability, encouragement, and love. I know in my experience the notions of rugged individualism and independence have been enculturated in my psyche, sometimes to the detriment of loneliness and isolation, particularly during difficult times. But the body of Christ is meant to be realized as an expression of community as we walk and live this life together. In addition to Jesus calling us to community on this mission, Jesus also wants us to be earnest in prayer. Jesus speaks in verse 2 saying, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. A similar account to this exists in Matthew chapter 9. When Jesus sees the multitude, it says he is moved with compassion. And he turns to his disciple and repeats this same refrain. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Recognizing the vastness of the harvest, yet how relatively few laborers there were, what does Jesus say to do as our first course of action? It says to pray earnestly. I'm aware that on social media these days, there's memes to disparage people for saying thoughts and prayers in response to a tragic event. It's as if we don't believe in prayer. Or we just have an overwhelming urge to just do something. Has this perspective influenced our thinking to the point that we don't feel compelled to pray? To address all that is wrong or broken in this world? You see, we pray earnestly, not just simply because Jesus commands it here in this passage. But we pray to commune with God. To prepare our hearts for the arduous mission. And to yield to the process of transformation and renewing of our minds. Prayer is a dia logos with God. Dia meaning through logos word. The same word that was in the beginning. It is a communion with God through dialogue. There are all sorts of prayers. Such as examine, lament, and Lexio divina. Each of which we teach in our shape formation class. Which I highly recommend. Father Ryan. (laughs) these prayers are an integral part of the spiritual disciplines that are needed, especially during these long, ordinary seasons of green growth. Thus, we pray not to avoid or delay action, but to connect our action to the mission of God. So Jesus exhorts them to go in community with earnest prayer, but also to have courage along the way. In Luke 10, verse 3, Jesus says, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Hmm. Wow, such encouraging words of affirmation. (laughs) Who wouldn't be excited about this proposition? (laughs) But some of you have been out to my house, and you know that I do have woods on either side of my house, and and frequently we hear coyotes howling after they've made a kill. Uh, Sometimes their howling coincides with trash day, 
and I have to haul my trash cans down the long driveway in pitch darkness. Uh, It makes me feel a little bit vulnerable and exposed, but uh, not quite like a lamb in the midst of wolves. Uh, But this is the call of the gospel. No knapsack, no money bag, no sandals. A throw down your nets and follow me readiness to give all for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. The realization that we will face attacks. We will have to navigate fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And we will suffer moments of despair, despondency, and hopelessness. And yet, despite all this, we move forward with the strength we have in our community. The preparation through prayer, earnest prayer, and courageously dependent on the hope that we draw from our union in Christ. Lastly, Jesus speaks about peace. In verse 5, he goes on to say, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. The Greek word for peace in this passage is irenes, which is used 90 times in the Greek New Testament. In each case, its meaning is almost identical to the Hebrew word shalom, which suggests a broad vision of holistic human flourishing, with the New Testament emphasis being on the saving work of Jesus Christ within the larger context of God's redemptive plan for mankind. The phrase son of peace is what many commentaries describe as one who is disposed to peace or peaceful in kind with respect to disposition. A disposition of humility, dependence and respect, or simply put, a beatitude. It's as if he is saying, when you encounter those who do not know me and do not understand me, Share with them the peace that I've shared with you. The interesting part of this story is that in verse 17, it says the 72 return with joy, saying, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Well, wait. Why didn't he tell them this from the beginning? (laughs) As they were about to leave, he told them they were going out like lambs amongst wolves. But when they returned, he says, well, actually, before you left, I gave you all authority to do these miraculous things. You see, the authority of God is what binds the community of Christ. It gives courage to be the advance party on mission. And it is the mooring point for which we anchor our souls in peace. Missiology is the study of missions and evangelism uh, with respect to both its theory and practical methodology. Two main theoretical models exist. The first is the representational model, and then the second is the incarnational model. The representational model is based on scripture references such as, follow me as I follow Christ. And, the, and we are God's ambassadors. Also from John chapter 3, he must increase and I must decrease. It's a paradigm that emphasizes that we are God's representatives being sent out on his behalf. 
And though this model does a great job of pointing to Christ, it does deflect attention away from us and where we fit in this overall scheme. The incarnational model, on the other hand, is more sacramental in nature. Having an orientation that is more holistic, it values both the proclamation of the word through evangelism and message format, but it also seeks tangible fulfillment of Jesus' mission statement in Luke chapter 4, which Ryan has been emphasizing these past few weeks. As you recall, Luke 4, Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he opens the scroll of Isaiah and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Since we are in Texas, hopefully you've heard of chili con carne or carne guisada. But maybe you've never connected that with incarnation. (laughs) But the etymology of incarnation is from the Latin root carne, which means meat or flesh. Uh, We will declare the truth of the doctrine of incarnation in a few minutes when we profess the words of the Nicene Creed. When we say that Christ was of one being with the Father. It's from the Greek homoousis, which means of one substance. This is a weighted theological concept to grasp. The idea that Jesus could be both fully God and fully man. Or simply put, that God took on the carne, the flesh. But similarly, scripture teaches that we as Christians exist in a state of spiritual and mystical union with Christ. Just to quickly reference a few verses, Colossians chapter 2, it says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. Acts 17 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. John chapter 6 says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Romans 13 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, Galatians chapter 3 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Thus, the incarnational mission is not simply a pointing to Christ as an extrinsic entity, but it is an awareness of our being found in him and he in us. It is a way of being over and above a code of conduct or a set of rules to follow or an intellectual cognitive assent to core beliefs. We are called to abide in Christ to both embody and emanate his peace or shalom as good news to the world. When we conclude our service each week, our closing collect has this statement. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. As we repeat those words today, can we reflect on our Missio Dei, how we are being sent as an advanced party by Jesus to go and proclaim the good news of his peace, 
shalom. May we do so bonded in the community of Christ, earnest in prayer, and courageously hopeful with a manner of being that shows forth Jesus' very real presence and peace. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.